Amen to that. You know, when you think about um, what we pursue, we, we tend to pursue what's good. And um, I remember pursuing Crystal, and I ran after her until she caught me. And um, because it was good, because she was good, and I went after that. And you think about the education you pursue or the career you pursue or the activity or the win or whatever you pursue. It's generally we're pursuing something good. You know the song that we just sang? God pursued what was broken. God pursued what was dead. God pursued what was his enemy. God pursued what needed to be fixed and forgiven and healed. God didn't pursue what was good. God came to make what was broken alive. He came to make what was dead come alive. And it was precious, but it needed to be redeemed. It wasn't in a good shape. It was in a broken, messed up state. So when you sing that song, you just got to realize how, how significant that theology is, how committed God is to coming after you. And some of you just need to hear that today from the outset. God loves you enough that he keeps coming after you again and again and again. If you ever wondered if he loved you, he's loved you, is loving you, and will love you and has plans for you. And so today I want to talk about how that comes out of God's word. So Jesus, help us today. Thank you as we gather in your name. You're with us by your spirit. You're here, your word is alive, and you want to do something in us and then through us today. So thank you for each person that's gathered in this room, that's listening online. Lord, you know every single person. And now take advantage of open hearts and open minds. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The people of God said a rowdy amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Always an honor to share uh, a weekend with you, but three-day weekend people get extra credit somewhere in heaven. I know it's there. So, hey, I want to jump right into our series today. Uh, we began a series called Filled with New Life, and today I want to talk about receiving life from God's Word, God's Word, the Bible. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And so he's saying, don't just be content to be alive when you could be fully alive. Don't just be content to retire comfortably when you can be fully alive. Don't just be content to have some nice things before you die, be fully alive. Don't just do your thing in this lifetime. Do what God puts you on this planet to do, be fully alive. It's interesting um, to read a scripture out of Psalms 119. It's a 3,000-year-old psalm and feel like it's more applicable today than when the psalmist wrote it all those years ago. He said this, turn my eyes from worthless things. How many more worthless things do we have to turn our eyes away from today than when he wrote that? But then he adds this, and give me, read the rest of it with me, give me life through your, life through your, your word. There's life in this word, maybe more than we realize. But I want to do a quick survey here because I want, to, I want to maybe make the playing field even as it relates to the Bible. And I want to do it through a survey where you raise your hand in this. And, I, and I'm not setting you up. I'll raise my hand too because it applies to me. But how many of you would say there have been times the Bible has been confusing? Would you raise your hand? All right. I think it's all of us. How many would say there's been times the Bible's been overwhelming because there's so much to keep track of and details to put together? And, okay, and, and one more, and you might feel uncomfortable and, and that God would be mad if you raised your hand on this, but he won't. It's just honest, okay? How many would say there's been times that the Bible's bored you? 
All right, you're a little concerned about that. Okay, all right, still with us. All right, and I'm raising my hand on all those too. Um, and so when I stand up here and say that uh, I want to talk about receiving life from God's word, I know that all of us come from a different perspective, and perhaps you come from the perspective of, well, that's going to be true for someone, but not true for me, because I've been confused by it, I've been bored by it, I've been overwhelmed by it. No, you're, you're, with, you're with equals, all right, including myself, and uh, let me just start there today. Uh, I don't think it would be a surprise to anyone for you to hear me say I love the Bible, but you might be surprised to hear it wasn't always that way. I grew up in church, and so I had a respect for the Bible, but I was one of those kids that often was bored by the Bible. One of those people, even as a teenager, young adult, that was confused or overwhelmed by the Bible. One of the things that I think did it for me, uh, and it wasn't intended, was how the Bible was described to me for many years. The Bible was described as the Christian's owner's manual for life. Christian's owner's manual. Sounds boring already. Owner's manual. Who pays attention to their owner's manual? Who reads an owner's manual for inspiration? No one. Who reads their owner manual every day? No one except weird people, all right? Who, who would ever want to get to know the, the author of their owner's manual? There's never been a book writing, a book signing day so you could meet the author of your owner's manual. Oh, I so love my cordless drill. I would love to meet the author of the manual behind the tool. That would be so great. Never. And then um, I would later on discover that I'm not an owner. We've talked about this in this series. I'm a manager. I'm not an owner, so why would I need an owner's manual? Now, I understand the analogy, and yet I think it's just an analogy because I used to use it too. I heard it, and so I repeated it, and then I thought, it's such a terrible analogy. And so I don't refer to it that way anymore. In fact, I want to give you a couple of verses before we get into a few words. I want to give you some words today eventually, but I want to begin with 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. And I want to connect it to a verse I hadn't really ever connected it to before. But it says this, there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Every part of scripture is an owner's manual, Right? No, every part of scripture is God-breathed. Say God-breathed. And is useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us. You know, God would use human beings to write the Bible, but they would write under his influence. They would write under his direction and guidance. And in this verse says, they would write under his breath. Jesus would breathe into their minds the things that they would ultimately write. And so this word is not just the word of mankind. This word is God's word. Now, I believe if somebody makes audacious claims, at some point you have to, in your lifetime, decide whether you believe it or not. I think every person ought to look at the Bible and say, do I believe the Bible's claim that that it's God's word or is it just man's best attempt to describe God? I think the moment that you actually believe this is God's word and you put it on a par separate from any other book, that's the beginning of learning to get life out of God's word. But I want to give you another verse. Genesis chapter 2, this is the beginning of creation. 
And it says this, and the Lord God formed the man, formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the, read the rest with me, he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living being. We breathe in oxygen, but we breathe out carbon dioxide. Apparently, God breathes out oxygen. He actually breathes out life. So when God breathes into Adam, he breathes life into Adam. When Timothy, when Paul in the book of Timothy says God breathed into Scripture, he's breathing life into Scripture. So what we read is not just a, a book where it's like opening up a mine shaft and you're going down and discovering treasure is part of it, but it's better. It's actually God's life coming to us from the pages of the Bible. Rarely do you even think about your breath. In the morning, maybe, okay, hopefully, all right, take care of that. And, um, and yet think about breathing. All day long you're breathing and you're not really even aware of the fact that you're breathing all day long. But we all know what happens if you stop breathing for an extended period of time. What happens? Death, all right? So life is in our oxygen, in our lungs because of our breathing. And then scripture comes around and basically saying, God is breathing through the pages of this book. What if, in fact, we put more pressure on ourselves and, and we're saying, I don't know how to understand the Bible, rather than starting from the Bible actually being the thing that's alive and powerful. And if you would just open it up, maybe it's breathing into you something that will eventually catch up to you, even if your mind doesn't grasp all of it, what if your spirit is? What if God's word is better than you think it is? Because it's God's breath breathing life. And a little at a time, you just keep getting more and more and more and more of it. For example, the difference between what culture has to say versus what God's word has to say. Culture will come along and say, here's what beauty is, and then it'll put pictures up, and it usually has to do with a certain size of person, a certain weight of person, a certain look of a person, a certain age of a person, and we say, that's beauty. And then scripture comes along and says, no, people are fearfully and wonderfully made. The inference is they're all masterpieces of God. They're all beautiful. And now you have to decide, which am I going to take in? Am I going to take in culture's words or am I going to take in God's word? And if I take in God's word, what will that do to me if I actually believe every morning I get up, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made? In fact, why don't we just do a little exercise here? And it kind of involves you just kind of breathing in something. Um, think about when either you bake bread at your house or, or you go to a restaurant where they bring the bread and it's hot and it's covered with a little, you know, white napkin thing and then you take it off. What do you instinctively do before you eat it? Right? Oh, that smells so good. Well, I want you to do that kind of with God's word for a moment, and it'll help if you close your eyes on this. And, and just almost as if you're taking in freshly baked bread, now hear these words, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Breathe that in. And maybe personalize and say, God, thank you. In your mind, just say, thank you, Jesus. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. What, what if you did that tomorrow morning and you got up and just said, you know what? I know people are going to compare me all day long, but here's the thing. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Wouldn't that change how you went through the day? What about a few others? What if you can keep your eyes closed a little bit longer? What if you got up and just said, I have not give, been given a spirit of fear, but I have a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Some of you need to breathe that in today. I don't have to be confused. God's going to give me a sound mind. 
How about this one? I've been saved by grace through faith. There's now no condemnation in my life for whom the Son has set free. I am free indeed. Some of you need to just breathe that in and let the regret of your lives go away. How about this? Healing is mine because by his stripes I am healed. Peace is mine because the peace that passes understanding is guarding my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. How about power is mine because I will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon me and I'll be a witness. Breathe in God's word like you would breathe in freshly baked bread. Now I'll stop doing that. Some of you are getting so much oxygen you're going to get lightheaded and you're not used to this. So here's the thing. Other books can entertain you. Other books can even inspire you, and other books can, can um, educate you. Only God's Word can transform you. Only God's Word can actually get inside of you in such a way where the way that you think transforms how you are and what you become. This Word is alive. Jesus would say, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Jesus' words are life. His written word is life. Here's the big idea for today. There's a direct connection between how full of life I am and how full of God's word I am. Direct connection. How full of the life of Christ and how full of his word I am. As long as you see this as an owner's manual, as long as you see it as a book that you're bored or confused by, as long as you see it as a book on par with other religious books, you will not get the life out of it that God intended. But my prayer for today is that you would see it differently than any other book. You would see it alive and powerful. You would be drawn into it, and you would begin to receive the life from it that God intends. I pray that 2020 would be your year where you are more in love with God's word and more drawn into God's word than any other time in your life. I want to give you some words that will help with that. The first word is revelation. Say revelation. revelation. It's been said that the longest distance in the world is the 18 inches from here to here. From your head, your thoughts, to your heart, where you really get it. And um, it's a difference between information, which often is just here. We have information, we have facts and details, and then we have revelation when it comes alive. I began to play junior, uh, in junior high, I began to play football. And um, I don't know, do you remember back in junior high? You remember puberty? Puberty, it's a funny word, and it's a funny time in our lives. And um, it, it, back then too, around sixth grade, the girls would grow taller than the guys. And the, the girls started to mature, and the guys still looked like boys. And then sometimes, um, and it was not fair, it was the, kind of this awkward and, and unfair time in our lives where some, some guy would actually start his, his growth spurt earlier than other guys and it would be bigger. And, and so when it came to junior high football, it wasn't an equal playing field. There were size differences. And um, I remember playing this one particular team, and I, my position was a defensive end, and so my job was to contain the run to the inside, so either I would tackle the person coming around the outside, or I would drive them inward where there were more players to actually make the play, okay? And uh, this particular game, we're playing against a quarterback who is known for running because of his size. I think he had his growth spurt in the fourth grade. By seventh grade now, he's six foot tall, probably 175 pounds. I'm probably 5'8", weighing in at 145 wet, all right? 
He's got a good 20 to 30 pounds or whatever on us. And so he loved to run because it's David against Goliath. All right, but in this story, Goliath wins, all right? And, and, and that's, been, that's been his history. And so, sure enough, somewhere in the game, he calls the end-around option, which actually means the, the, the fullback and the quarterback are coming around, and he has the option in which to pitch the ball out to the back. But I have this distinct feeling that he's too arrogant to actually do that. He's going to hang on to the ball, so I'm just going to zero in on his numbers, and I was taught that you're supposed to go after the big numbers on his chest. So I'm going to do that because what I lack in size, I'm going to make Make up for sheer determination. Okay, the faulty thinking of a junior higher. All this is still information, by the way. And um, I hit him with such force that the two of us wind up on the ground in a second. I think the two of us, the two of us, wind up on the ground. Uh, because my speech is already, nice try, pal, you know, from the ground. But when I look to see him, I can't see him because my helmet is sideways. I have to look through the ear hole, fix my helmet, look around. Tom's not there. Tom's not there. Tom is still on his feet running towards the end zone. Before this play, I had information. After this play, I had revelation. How many know the difference? All right. I had the facts and figures up here, but I needed the 18-inch journey to get it down here to say, now that was a lot different than I expected. Some of you need to get past seeing the Bible as just a Bible, that, a book full of information, and you need to see it as a book of transformation and revelation, that if you get into it, you can experience some things that take you deeper than just information itself. Part of that involves actually seeing the revelation as an adventure. What if you saw this as an adventure book? Yeah, you know what? You read some adventure books right now, and the plot is that you have to kind of wade through a few details, and you're trying to put the, you know, things together, but you know you want to keep reading because you're going to come to the treasure, you're going to come to the aha moments, you're going to keep reading. That's what I want you to do here. There are treasures in this book to be found. There are truths that will pop out that will help your life, and mostly there is a Savior that you will discover because the revelation is ultimately about God himself. That when you get into the pages of this book, you do want to meet the author. And you discover he's a savior. And then that savior is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And then you discover that he's also a wonderful counselor. And then you discover he's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. He's a prince of peace. He's a soon coming king. He's your defender. He's your healer. He's your redeemer. He's your rock and your fortress. He is a strong tower. He is better than you think he is. And you discover it when you go on an adventure into the Bible. And so I want to show you a, a, one story in the Bible where it illustrates that you're not just discovering God, but you're discovering he's a God of adventure and a God of revelation. The story is in the Gospel of Luke. It happens after the crucifixion and resurrection. And so um, people are talking and things are happening. And, and it's three days you know, later after Jesus has died. And nobody knows he's alive. Um, a few do, but basically people saw him get crucified and they believe he's dead. And so here's two guys, and they're on a way to a town called Emmaus. So the story's known as the road to Emmaus. And these two guys are walking, and then a third guy joins the conversation. But they don't know it's Jesus, all right? So kind of almost picture like when you get in an elevator and people get in with you and the door closes, you're not supposed to have meaningful conversation. 
When somebody starts talking in an elevator, isn't it a little weird, like you don't know the rules? We're just sharing a little space for a few seconds. Just be quiet. We'll all just go up silently together. All right. Well, I think if you're on a road to Emmaus and you're having conversation with your friend and a third guy just happens to be in your proximity, the, the rules is leave us alone. We're having our own conversation. But Jesus strolls up next to these two guys and says, what are you, what are you guys talking about? And then they say, don't you know? what everybody's talking about? Don't you know about the things that have happened? And, and, and Jesus, this God of adventure and this God of revelation doesn't just reveal himself right off the bat. He says, what things? So, well, the things that everybody's talking about. And, and they say, Jesus. And so they're talking to Jesus about Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus because he didn't come with a sign, resurrected Christ, you know, on his chest or, or some Jesus T-shirt or something like that. He, he didn't have a halo on his head and he's not glowing. And so he's just another dude that's on the road to Emmaus with them. And they say, well, Jesus, this, this man who was wonderful in power indeed, and we thought he was the Messiah, but then Rome put him to death. And, and yet it's three days later and his body is missing and everybody's talking and, and, and it's almost like they're saying, you don't know any of this? Have you been in a cave? Which I don't think that was said, but I think it would have been awesome if they would have said that. Like, like, where have you been in a cave for three days? Because everybody's talking about this. And then it says this, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, in other words, the Moses's words written in the Old Testament, the prophets' words. So the Old Testament, referring to the Old Testament, Jesus explained to them what was said in the scripture concerning himself. Now, he's not telling them it's about him. He's telling them it's about the Messiah, but he is the Messiah. So he's telling them about them, himself to them, and he's revealing things, and they still don't know it's him, and they wind up at their destination, and they invite him into their house, and he agrees to come in, and he takes the initiative to pray over the food, and there's something about when he prayed over the food and he said amen, their eyes were open, and they realized it was Jesus, and then he disappeared. Is that not a God of adventure? Because he could have started this whole thing off right off the bat. Like, hey, I'm alive, I'm Jesus, here I am. And, but he, but he, it's a seven-mile-long walk because this God loves revelation. He loves getting people to a place where, where they're drawn into the conversation and at some moment they have this aha moment. Like, I didn't see that coming, but now I see something. And they describe it this way. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while we talked with, well, well, he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us. Every time I have the privilege of being able to come up and teach God's word, this scripture is in the back of my mind. My, my goal is that we would open up scripture and our hearts would burn in all the right ways, that we would see something about God, about his promises, about his help, about his character, about our lives that so need him, that our hearts would be drawn into saying, I want to know more about that God. I don't want to just have a seven-mile walk and then leave it go. I want to come back, and I want to know him more, and I want to keep growing in my relationship with him. I'm not saying that every time you open the Bible, it's going to be equally inspiring. You know, when you go on an adventure, think about even a travel adventure. Isn't there a lot of work just to get to the destination? You know, sometimes it's like you got to pack the bags and you got to do the work and you got to get on the plane, you got to stand in line. And you know what? Sometimes you got to get in God's word and you got to do a little bit of the work. You got to mine a few things, you got to work through it, you got to, you know, retain a few things. But you know what? If you actually believe that you're on your way to a destination, 
if you actually believe there was revelation to be discovered, if you actually believe that, you know what, I might not get it all today, but I'm digging through some stuff, and I'm getting a little bit clearer on it, and I believe that maybe even tomorrow I'll just discover something, and it'll be my aha moment in God's word, and that just keeps me coming back, and that keeps me intrigued, and that keeps me curious. I think curiosity can kill a cat, but I also think curiosity can get you into God's word to say, what am I missing? What what do I want to discover today? What's here that God wants to show me? So there's revelation. Say it one more time, revelation. Revelation. Then invitation, number two, say invitation. This has been a game changer for me because rather than this be a rule book or an owner's manual, it's a book filled with personal invitations from God to me, from God to you. I'll give you just a few. They're written on your notes today. There's hundreds of them waiting to be discovered. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Anyone glad that that invitation is in the book, that God is willing to take your dirty laundry and give you a robe of righteousness in its place. He'll take your stinky garbage and your worst in your life and he will give you his best. What a great exchange is that invitation, amen? Amen. Praise God. Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me, all you that are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. You know what that invitation is about? Reminding you that you don't have to carry all the burdens of life on your own, that God will carry the heavy weight. In fact, can I remind you of this? The heaviest weight anybody ever carried was a cross weighed down by the sins of the entire world. And Jesus already carried that for you. He already carried it up to a hill. He already paid the price for all of our sin, and he's already done all the work. But then it goes on where Jesus wants to keep on carrying. You know what he'll carry? He'll carry your worry. He'll carry your fears. He'll carry your regrets. He'll carry your shame. He'll carry your responsibilities. He'll share life with you. You are not alone in this world. You've got an invitation from a great big God that he wants to carry things on your behalf so you can have rest in this life that many of you are not experiencing. You haven't yet come to the place where your life is full the way God wants it to be full because of the stresses that you're carrying, but God wants to invite you into a life where he's carrying the heavy load for you. How about that one as an invitation to you? Or Hebrews 4.16, so let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us in when we need it most. You know what that tells us? The door of invitation is always open. And you didn't earn it and you didn't deserve it, just like the song that we sang, but Jesus already opened the way. And now you have a God who's saying, come on in. I believe this is the word for some of you today. You, you came into this room and you need God's grace and you need God's mercy in some area of your life and God is right now inviting you to bring that to him. You've been carrying it, you've been worrying about it, you've been laying awake at night about it and God is wanting to say, bring that in because I've got something for you. I've got grace to help you. I've got mercy to restore you. I have something in my, my world that can come into your world. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to transfer some of the qualities of heaven down into your world. And you know what? You know what? It also involves the commands of Scripture. The commands of Scripture. I grew up in the country in northern Minnesota on 80 acres, and so I had lots of woods and lots of fields to play in. And uh, oftentimes then at lunchtime, I'd be a long ways away from the house by the time it was lunchtime, and so my mom would have to yell at us. Not yell at us because she's mad at us, 
but yell at us because she had something for us and she needed to get our attention. And so there would be some version of, come in for lunch! You know, echoing across the 80 acres. Now, it was a command. It was a command. But the command was really an invitation. And if I interpreted it as a command where my mom wants something from me, I might be tempted to stay away from the house. But I've interpreted it as a loud invitation into something that was already prepared for me, then I would not stay away from the house. I'd come towards the house because something was there waiting for me. How many times have we misread the commands thinking God wants something from me? What if the commands of Scripture are just God's loudest way to get our attention when the stakes are the highest? And we've just been hearing the thou shalt nots, and I grew up that way. Thou shalt not that, and thou shalt not that. And if you're a Christian, thou shalt not that, for sure. And that, and that, and that, and that. But what if so many of them are just cloaked invitations? They're God's loudest way to get our attention, to keep us from going into danger, from keep us, keeping us on the, a wrong path. And he's inviting us. He, it might be loud. It might be direct. It might look like a command, but it's a loud invitation to come into the story that's better. Think about this. Even if people aren't Christ followers, isn't it true that life is better when you don't um, feed all your appetites? In other words, if you fed all of your spending appetites, would you not wind up spending more than you have and then you would accumulate something called debt and now life is not as good as it, w it could have been because you didn't control an appetite. There's, there's drugs and drinking appetites where if they're not controlled, they turn into addictions. And when addictions get a hold of you, do they not make life more difficult? Are they not now the taskmaster? Are they not the ones that are driving you and telling you how to live and think? And God tries to keep us from this through commands. There's eating, eating things like um, the appetite to consume an entire box of Krispy Kreme donuts. It's real. I don't care if they don't know how to spell crispy or cream, all right? It's an enticement. And uh, I've learned that you, you start eating it and it's like little heavenly dough. It melts in your mouth and you just grab another and another until, until your pancreas is crying out to Jesus for help because it can't process all the sugar. And, and Jesus is saying, man shall not live by Krispy Kreme donuts alone. That's a message translation, but you know, he's trying to get my attention like, stop consuming this. It might be good, but it's not good for you. And so throughout scripture, even when we're told not to do something, what if it's an invitation into the better story? What if it's God's not trying to keep you from what's good, God's trying to lead you into what's better? God's kind of keeping you from what turns into bondage, what turns into difficulty, what turns into heartbreak, and the commands even. Come on, what if the commands are just loud invitations from Jesus to live this way, because life is better here. So we've got invitations, we've got promises, great and precious promises, and we even have commands. And so I, I, I want us to look at the Bible differently. Open the pages of this book up and, and realize you're being invited into a story that's a great story, and you're going to receive some invitations into promises and direction and correction so that your life can become everything God wants it to be. We'll give you some practical help next week on how to do that, but let me give you one more word today. Protection, say protection. You see, this book is a weapon, too. It's a weapon. Paul is now, the Apostle Paul is incarcerated by Rome. He's surrounded by Roman soldiers, and he uses the analogy of a soldier to say something to us about how we live in our walk with Jesus, and he gives this analogy. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God 
so that when the evil day comes, when the evil day comes, not if it comes, when it comes, you will be able to stand your ground, and after having done everything to stand, stand firm then, take the helmet of salvation and the, read the rest with me, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The word is a sword. How many, um, how many Star Wars fans? Okay, I'm not going to set you up for anything bad, just, okay, just curious, Okay. Um, some of you weren't alive when the first one came out. It was 1977. And uh, it won not only, you know, the picture, but it won special effects and it won sound effects. And so one of the, one of the great effects in the 1977 movie was the lightsaber because it was a weapon that was awesome and it had sound effects. I know the Bible doesn't have sound effects, but wouldn't that be awesome? devil comes and says, God didn't forgive your sins. They're too great. You open up to 1 John 1, 9. Whoa. <laughs> if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive me Whoa. my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And here's the thing different from Star Wars. Darth Vader, the devil in, in the Bible, doesn't have, have a lightsaber. All right, you're the one with it, and the Bible says resist him and he'll flee from you. You open up God's word, and it's alive and powerful, and he doesn't have that defensive weapon, and he's got to run. That's why we need to learn to use the Bible, get into the Bible, let it get into us, because there's going to be some times where we're going to be tempted, and we need to have some verses that we've learned and we come back to, because he'll say, you're damaged goods, and you're going to open up the Bible and say, I'm a masterpiece made by God. He's got good plans for me that he decided in advance for me to do, and you cut through the lie that you're damaged goods, and you can't be used by him. And all the other different kinds of lies, you're a failure and you're weak. And you go, whoa, I'm a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. Can I give you a few others without the sound effects? I'm strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved me. I am not anxious by anything, but with everything, with prayers and petition, I present my request to God, and then the peace of God which passes understanding will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's reminding us, you don't just have a sword in your hand, but when you use the sword, then God's spirit stands next to you also to guard you. You battle not alone, but you battle with God being your side, at your side to do warfare with you, guarding your heart and mind. Come on, how good is this book that it teaches us what, what God's like, reveals to us who we are, and tells us the kind of life that we could have in him. You might not know everything about the book, but you know what? It's more powerful than you think. Get in it, let it get into you, let it move from here to here and see if 2020 doesn't become the year where you get just more interested and curious and you, you discover more and you hear more. Because come on, Sundays are great and I love to do this and I think there's something about the public proclamation of God's word that's powerful. But you know what? On Monday you need God's word too. And so do you on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And so we want to help you with that. Come back next week. We'll talk some more about this. But today I'm going to ask you to do what I did a little bit earlier. Would you close your eyes and just make this about you and God right now? 
And uh, would you, in, in your own way, perhaps posture yourself in a position to receive some things God wants to say? I actually believe God's wanting some of you to hear the word salvation. Because right now, salvation is flowing through this room. If you're listening on the internet, I'm telling you, it's flowing through the internet too. Some of you need forgiveness that God is giving right now. And it is a, it's a free gift. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I will receive salvation through Jesus Christ. I receive your forgiveness. I want to be cleansed. I want to be free. I want to be renewed. I want to surrender myself to you. Salvation is available for you today. I believe for many of us, there's help and healing that God has available. We said that we have an invitation to come into the throne room. And I know some of you walked in here today and you've got things that are gonna come up this week and they're already weighing you down. You're already concerned about it. You already aren't sure about what's gonna happen. And yet I, I, I'm telling you right now, God will prepare you today for what's coming up this week. And right now, there's help coming your way. There's grace and mercy coming your way. There are ideas coming your way. I believe wisdom is available for you right now. Some of you are gonna get wisdom, and, and maybe you won't feel like it comes today, but you just need to know the answer came to you today, and you're gonna have the clarity tomorrow, or you're gonna have the clarity on Wednesday or Friday, or when that decision needs to be made. You're gonna even right now know God is, is already working in your mind, and you're gonna have the solution, the clarity, the answer that you need in the moment in which you need it. Some of you walked in here with great stress or anxiety, and I'm telling you, I believe Jesus is walking up and down the aisles of this room and even over the internet right now, and he is laying his hand on your head because he wants to guard your heart and your mind. Some of you are weighed down by too many things right now, and you have stresses and anxieties on your life, and I'm telling you, there's peace available to you. God is going to give you the peace, not because all the problems go away, but you realize he is with you, and he is for you, and he's not forgotten you, and he he will help you become all he wants you to be. You are not alone. And so Jesus, with whatever is needed in this room today, I believe there is an invitation, perhaps dozens of invitations for the same topics, for the same issues, and you're inviting us into it. So even now, as we go into a time of response, let our worship be a reminder of how big and good you are. And let it be an encounter with you where today we just say, Lord, uh, I want to know you, and I want to get into your word, and I want to get into me, and I want to become all that you want me to become. If you receive that today and you're ready just to worship God a little longer, would you just say that with your hands and say, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to me and all that you're yet to do in my life. In Jesus' name, let's sing together.